my husband and uh, my three children and I moved to Germantown from Brooklyn, New York. We are transplants to Philadelphia, but this was actually my third trip back to Philadelphia. I, I actually quit Philadelphia three times before returning with my family to create a home here. And I really wanted to live in Germantown because it was something about Germantown that actually reminded me of Brooklyn and still does. I don't know exactly what that is, but it was just a feeling. We came because while we were in New York, that's when the Twin Towers came down. And it was so traumatic. I worked in Harlem at the time. It was so traumatic going back and forth to work every day that I finally said to my husband, you know, I think we need to move. I think we need to leave New York because it just feels, it just feels precarious here. And so I suggested Philadelphia, which he was having none of initially, but then I showed him house prices and he said, okay, I'll look, but I'm not committed. And so we came and we looked at a couple of places and then he got really excited because we knew that by the time we'd moved back to Brooklyn, we knew that we'd never be able to own anything there. Bed-Stuy, I grew up in Brownsville. These were neighborhoods that had been redlined. These same neighborhoods, you know, Bed-Stuy, where we were living at the time when we returned from Boston, you know, the median price of a house was $1.5 million. So, you know, we knew with our three children and our artistic, you know, social justice backgrounds that we were not going to be able to afford a home there. We, we looked in Philadelphia and German, this house was probably the third house that we looked at. And my husband brought it to me. It was on like a, you know, it was in a listing. You know, none of us had the cell phones we have now. So it was like a really grainy black and white photograph. There was something about the photograph that for both of us said, oh, that looks like it could be our home. And it took us three, three tries to get into the house, but eventually we got in and um, there was a photograph on the refrigerator of a little girl. And my daughter looked at the photograph and said, mom, doesn't that look like Rosie? And I looked at it and I said, kinda, but get out of my way so I could see my house. Cause I already felt like this was my home. And, you know, we went, uh, we were on our way upstairs. My daughter went upstairs before we got there. And she came out of the room with two things. Um, one of those handprint things that all the children make in kindergarten and um, a frame, um, something that I had made for my girlfriend Wanda when she was leaving Wesleyan to go off to graduate school. It had a picture of both our little girls, you know, with school dresses and bags. Because they were in, they were, they were respectively two years old when she went to Albany and I had given her that as a gift. So it turns out that this, the home that we purchased in Germantown is actually uh, owned by a former classmate of mine and her husband, really her husband. And I think that's the first and only time in my life that I fainted because I had lost touch with Wanda. Now I'm standing up in her house and they were selling it because they're going to move to Vermont. So that pretty much 
uh, seal the deal. I just felt like we could have kept looking and I'm sure we'd have found something that we loved even more. There's a lot to love in Germantown, but it felt like this is exactly where we were supposed to be. So Wanda and I were reunited and we wound up moving into 4613 Newhall Street. You know, again, as folks coming who grew up in New York City, both my husband and I were just blown away by the fact that there was so much Black ownership in Philadelphia because that's really not the case uh, in New York City. So we were really excited about that and to be moving into a neighborhood that was working class and predominantly Black and being able to raise our kids um, like that. It was in just been interesting being here because Germantown not unlike Bed-Stuy when we were there, it doesn't, there's so much, there's some things that you can do here, but it really made us both think about, you know, what it means to really build, like, build up a community. Because you, you have to leave. Germantown, it had, we have supermarkets that are okay. Um, but there's so much that you have to leave Germantown to go get from someplace else. And we know that part of what drives economy, you know, and part of what builds powerful commercial corridors and makes neighborhoods um, economically rich is the, the opportunity for other people to come to your neighborhood and buy stuff and enrich your neighborhood. And so one of the things when we moved to Newhall Street that we got really excited about was an idea um, that I named Fort Mom. And that idea was to really try to get some other folks we knew to consider moving to Philadelphia to, and, and also to create a co-op system in the neighborhood because these houses are old. And we thought like if we could create like a co-op system, then with these old houses with so many working class black folks, we could buy things collectively, like if you needed new windows, if you needed new systems, like how could we pool resources? Because one of the things that's really difficult about owning these old houses is being able to care for them. Again, as artists, these were issues that were near and dear personally, because we were always fighting to stay in our home once we got our home. Fort Mom was this idea where we were gonna take our house and make it a show house. So we were gonna to try to apply the idea that we had to really building up the infrastructure of this old house as culture, as like artists. And then we would open up our house to the public, we, you know, making one part of it like a public space, a cultural institution, so that we could really think about how could the arts drive community development and economic development and how could neighbors really sort of installed their home space as cultural space for like two or three times a year where you open up the part that's the cultural space to the community. Um, you talk about the resources that were pooled to be able to like, you know, fix your chimney, um, restore your porch, all of those things. Unfortunately, we never got to that. My husband and I were kings and queens of like great ideas. But what we did get to was a project that we did in 2012 called the Eviction Proof Peep Show Home. So what I was able to convince my husband to do was, uh, I said, well, why don't we just put the majority of our furniture in storage so that the house is hollowed out? Now, my kids were still living here, at least 
the, the youngest and the, and the middle child. And what we will do is we will recruit artists and assign them to every room in the house to tell a story artistically about the impact of foreclosure. Because of course you can be foreclosed on in a home, but you can also be foreclosed on in a relationship. You can be foreclosed on in a school situation. So we want people to personalize that and to tell that story artistically in every room in our home. Because who knows better than you or I, like what is so painful about really disclosing that you, that you need help, that you're in danger of losing your home. So the idea was that the house was staging the people instead of the people staging the house. Because the house wanted to tell its story. The house wanted to make an argument um, for why houses needed to save their people so that the people could also advocate for the houses. And so it was a really, it was, it's one of the, it's one of the, my most favorite things that we did. It was very tongue in cheek. Um, it was a 15 minute show. The reason it was eviction proof was that the idea was really, how do we make ourselves eviction proof um, as a community? The reason it was a peep show is that we were really thinking about what the atmosphere was uh, between 2008 and 2011 when so many people were losing their homes and how it was, it was a, you know, as the news reported on it, it was almost voyeuristic because, um, you know, people's belongings were in the street. People were just um, turning in their keys and walking away from their homes. There were stories about homes in Florida where alligators had moved into the pools because there were no people there. So you get a peep at what this family is going through. And one of the ways that it functioned is that one of our artists on the top floor, um, she took a, um, a family portrait of us. She made five copies because there were five of us. And the way that the show started is you started on the third floor and you decided as an audience member who in the family you wanted to travel through the house as. So there was, a, since there was a mirror over all faces, once she took the photograph, then you were part of the family album. And you basically were traveling through the house with that perspective. Um, and each room had a different story. My husband was the house troubadour. He sang you from room to room. Uh, and then he ushered you out the back door. That was sort of the coming together of us really thinking about how can the art uh, that we love and that we do, how can it be a platform for really getting important information out to, to people that we think deserve to have that information. So the Colored Girls Museum, my husband was killed in a car accident. Um, it will be March 30th, will be seven years ago. And my recovery from that had a great deal to do with then using really the model of eviction proof peep show home as a way of really celebrating ordinary, extraordinary black women and girls um, through the submission of art and artifact that's significant to our experiences. My husband and I um, have known each other since we were like seventh, eighth grade. He was a year older than me. We went to school together in Brooklyn. We never dated. Uh, we ran into each other in Boston. We got married. 
we had our we, we got pregnant with our with our third child so he brought the oldest i brought the girl we collaborated on the third and the rest as they say um is history I was just really angry at how many people kept telling me that I was strong, that I, you know, I just needed to get on with my life, that I should do this, that I should do that. And just really thinking about how uh, Black women are never given an opportunity to be human, to be out for the count, to be broken. And that had me thinking about you know, Eric Gardner's family, his his daughters, his wife in New York City, just all of the ways in which, you know, um, you know, black women go through devastation on a public stage. And there's no opportunity to just be with your ordinary pain. And what that does to you. I, I got my godmother, you know, asked me on a trip to New York because uh, I guess I was looking pretty out of my body at that point. She said, what do you want to do? I had no idea what I wanted to do because truth is I didn't want to do anything. But like I heard myself saying to her, I want to create a colored girls museum. Hell, I didn't even know what that was. I don't know where that came from. And so she said, she asked me to tell her about it. And so I answered as best I could, or that other girl in me, the busybody, answered as best she could while I rolled my eyes, because I wanted to do nothing. And, um, you know, we, and we, we created this in the fringe, uh, the Colored Girls Museum opened for business in 2015. And I did an open call to some folks that I knew to ask them if they would participate. I was terrified to do that because I hadn't given people enough time. I couldn't really explain to them what the concept was. People would say, a colored girls museum, what's that? And since it had not been done before, I couldn't, there wasn't a model I could point to. All I could say in, in indignation is, well, if I said I was gonna do a shoe museum, what would you think that was about? And then there were questions about, well, why are you using the word colored? And I said, I use the word colored because I just think about all the ways in which black women and girls are colored by everybody in the world. Colored strong, colored too aggressive, colored too needy, colored not in need of protection. Just how the world takes its Crayola crayon and just colors us whatever the hell people feel like they wanna color us. And so that's why it's colored. It's the Girls Museum because you know, I have found for myself, and I, I, I found that it's also true for, for many other uh, Black women, that so much of where you retreat to in times of great distress are the things you did or did not have in girlhood. And how girlhood, Black girlhood, is a sacred place that never gets um, the protection, praise, and grace that it requires and deserves because you have to go back to those places, right? Or you get thrown back to those places when you're hurt because your hurts come when you're a little girl, a little black girl. And I say to people, a lot of people are like, well, why, you know, like why girlhood? 
Um, and what do you mean by that? And I say to people, you know, the moment you come screaming into this world and you're a little black girl and somebody says it's a girl, a series of things move into motion that are gonna determine what your life is going to be in that moment. We share that experience. Whatever we decide to become later on, that how we're shaped by it's a girl <laughs> in black girlhood is a thing. And I really wanted to celebrate that and acknowledge that. And one part of that also was that uh, my late husband loved my girl. You know, he like he knew that girl. He loved that girl. And, uh, you know, and that girl was hurting. So it was a way of really letting her know it was gonna be all right. I was gonna take good care of her. Um, you know, I was gonna get back there, so she should not worry about that. And so the Colored Girls Museum was born. And these inaugural artists were about, numbered about 30 black women and girls. God bless them, because they said yes. They entered, you know, art and artifact that was significant to their experience, because that's really what this was about. They said, you know, what is it that is significant to us? Not because somebody else says so, but because we say so. As, um, you know, as Black women came and installed their work in the different rooms, as we looked at each other's stuff, like it was just, like I did not know what it was going to be, but what she has become, and I still look back with so much fondness on how that how that came to be. And one of the things that I talk about is that I feel like Germantown called me and called me again and again. And I'm not satisfied that I know enough historically about what Black women must have done on this land that would call forth a Colored Girls Museum. Because I say, the Colored Girls Museum is not here because I say so. The Colored Girls Museum is here because she said so. She said so. Um, 